0: What does it mean to be a man in the 21st century? What can we learn from people who study and work with men? Why does focusing on masculinity matter? These are some of the questions we are here to answer. I'm Alex Bove, inviting you to Talk Like a Man. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of the Talk Like a Man podcast. I know it's been a little while since we have had an episode and I do apologize for that. As I think you all know by now, my day job is a college professor and it's just been quite a busy semester for me. Uh, I really haven't had the time to get guests and find time to do the interviews and the post-production and all the things that sort of make the podcast happen. So again, I do apologize and there will be more content coming in the future. I'm very committed to this podcast keeping it going. Uh, And in the meantime, we do actually have a full episode today. It's not the standard episode of me interviewing one person. It's actually a talk that I went to. And the talk was given by three of my favorite people in the world. I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a minute. It was on the occasion of a photo exhibit called Shifting Gears, Finding Intimacy in Men's Friendships. And uh, it was this wonderful exhibit of photographs showing closeness between men, physical affection, emotional intimacy, to the extent that you could see that, obviously, in a photograph between men. And the exhibit and then the subsequent talk featured uh, Robert Heasley, brother Rob Carter, and Robert Garfield. And these are three men with whom I actually am uh, lucky enough to serve on the board of directors of the Men's Center for Growth and Change in Philadelphia. Dr. Heasley and Brother Rob Carter actually are co-directors of that organization uh, and both of them are still working with men, uh, Dr. Heasley as a therapist and Brother Rob Carter works with, so, with men's groups, uh, particularly on intimate partner violence and anger management. Also, all of these men are credentialed as teachers in one form or another. Uh, Dr. Heasley is Professor Emeritus in the Department of Sociology at Indiana University of Pennsylvania and uh, brother Rob Carter teaches in the graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania as well, and oh, wouldn't you know it, Rob Garfield also teaches at the University of Pennsylvania, but also is a therapist and has had a practice for many, many years out in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Doctors Heasley and Garfield, if you're interested in this, and I really do recommend it, also co-wrote a book called Breaking the Male Code, Unlocking the Power of Friendship. And they're actually going to talk about the book a little bit in this talk, so I don't really want to say too much more about that. And honestly, I don't want to preface this too much because it's just so wonderful. I really want to get to it. But I do want to throw out just a couple of things that struck me in this talk. Um, Each of these men had such an interesting narrative of the relationship that they've had really with masculinity, with the men in their lives, and the journey they've all had. In really seeking intimacy and often struggling to find intimacy with the other men in their lives including their fathers in some cases and, and and fatherhood was mentioned fathers were mentioned and and that's something i think that's a topic that's come up on this show a few times and i think it's going to come up again and in fact maybe we'll do one whole episode just focusing on that but that was something that struck me it was kind of a through line through all of the the discussions and also just the 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 amazing vulnerability that all three of these men showed, not only in sharing their stories in public, but just doing the work of challenging themselves and and challenging others, including other men in their lives, to confront these issues. It's very important work and difficult work, and I'm so proud of these three men for continuing to do it. So that's all I want to say by way of introduction, except a, a sort of a technical note that this talk was recorded in a public place, and there were people coming in and out. It wasn't a studio setting, obviously. And so there's a lot of ambient noise. So again, I didn't really edit. I couldn't really edit anything out of that. So just again, if you'll just excuse the audio quality of this recording and just really focus on the content, which I think is really fantastic. So here are Dr. Robert Heasley, Brother Rob Carter, and Dr. Robert Garfield.
1: I so welcome.
2: I'm Robert Heasley, and I'm one of the co-creators of the project, the photo narrative project called Men, called Shifting Gears, um, finding intimacy and in men's friendships. And I want to give you a little background on this project. Um, it was so the idea of Shifting Gears really came out of my working class background because my father fixed cars, and I grew up knowing every car that was ever made and having to recognize them. And I thought. You know, what men need to do is shift gears. We need some new ways of being masculine and some new images of masculinity. And my own work in, as a feminist came out of the women's movement in the 70s, certainly, with women sort of articulating a different way of being women. And it made sense to me that men could do that, benefit from that work as well. So the project um, is started 20 years ago, actually, as of I think, Jesse Crane sieber who's in one of the photos, is my stepson, and he was in—I don't know if he just finished college or he was still in college I'm at that still
3: time. In college it was 20
2: years ago. And <laughs> wow. And one of the things That's I admired so about Jesse, around as well as some other men in my life, is that he had this very close friend Trevor, who's in the photo, that they were just tight with each other. And when they would be at our house, they would be leaning into each other, they'd be hugging each other, they'd be sharing emotions, they'd be crying together. And it wasn't the masculinity that I grew up with as a working class kid from Western Pennsylvania who learned how not to fix cars, because I was never good at it, um, but it wasn't the masculinity that was ever introduced to me. And as I grew older and as I grew into sort of my own version of masculinity, I realized I wanted more. And I wanted more of an emotional connection, a spiritual connection. I wanted safety to be vulnerable. I wanted to be, you know, in some ways I thought, the women's movement made sense because women got to both be women in terms of emotional openness, and they also got to be track stars, and they you know, were athletes, and they were all the kinds of things. My sisters, who were three uh, three sisters who were older than me growing up, they were always older than me, but my sisters, I remember going to my father in the 1950s, early 60s, and saying, there were no women on radio and no women announcers, except there was Barbara Walters, I think it started at that time that men just hated because she had an odd voice. Um, <laughs> and I said to my father, only because she wasn't male, and I said to my father, so Dad, why aren't there women announcers on TV and why aren't there women newscasters? And he said, it, it, my dad was this working class factory worker, very wisely put down the newspaper, and he said, Bobby, they just don't have the voice for it. Oh and, and then I went to dinner that night at this big a kid family dinner, and my sisters always sat on the other side of the table, and I listened to their voices, and I thought, Dad's right. Oh my God, that voice would never work on radio. <laughs> so, you know, we buy into the parad- paradigm we're introduced to, and that's the only one we end up knowing as kids. And then the women's movement and feminist movement came around and shifted that paradigm, which was critical in terms of making those changes. This project started years later, obviously, when I was in my 30s and teaching at Ithaca College in New York, and and really aware that I had a best male friend, and who continues to be a really deep male, one of my best male friends, who's in the photo, but we're so much younger than we are now, (laughs) recognize me. but he um, and I just had a very emotionally close relationship. We had a very physical relationship, and we were in a manuscript together that was very physical, very very engaging. And we knew a photographer who Deborah Helper, who did this photography, and she was talking to Neil and me one day and said, "You know, I just love how loving you are to each other. I love how you engage." And she knew both of our, you know, she knew Betsy, the person I married with, and she knew Neil's uh, partner as well. And she said, I just love it. You two just love each other. And I'd love to photograph you. And we said, OK. Um, the take entire picture. It's a love picture. And, and so we posed for it, and she did it. And she said, I don't think there's any other men who have relationships like this. Because she, like all of us, grew up in a world where men didn't display that. And we began talking about it. And we said, oh, we know some two guys, and we should photographed them. And I said, I know Jesse Crane Cedar, he's my stepson. Um, and he has a friend like this. And then we started talking to other people. And people said, oh my god, I know these two guys in San Francisco who are just amazingly close. And they've been friends for the last 20 years. And they've helped each other go through divorces and marriages and co-raised children. And so we got a Council for the Arts grant from the New York State Council on the Arts. And they paid us to go to San Francisco and take photographs in Western Massachusetts for another set of, of subjects. And I interviewed I interviewed all the men individually. So in each team of men that we found, I interviewed each one of them separately so we could get their ideas without conversation going on. And then I drew quotes from their stories, and, and that's what's posted next to the photographs. But the piece that was interesting to me is that People knew people who had these kinds of relationships. But nobody knew that they exi- that they could exist. They thought that these were unique uh, in the world. There was no other male couple <laughs> of friendships that could be anything like these two. So the goodness of doing the project, thanks to the New York State Council, was that we were able to do this photo display, which has now toured a number of cities, a number of college campuses, um, along with some talks on men's friendships. And the idea of intimacy, if you find the average guy in the street and say, tell me about your most intimate male friend, they're going to say, I haven't had sex with anybody. Um, What are you talking about? But if you really define intimacy as an emotional connection, a closeness, then they're going to say, yeah, there is a friend like that. Rob Garfield and I did a, a national study a few years ago. I don't know if I'm stealing your material. But no, okay. steal away. We did a national study of, with 400 respondents asking men about their closest male friendships and, and what did they look like, what did they do, and it was powerful. We found that about a third of our respondents, and they, the respondents pretty much broke out very well around about a third in terms of demographics. So Latino men, uh, African-American men, Anglo men, um, gay men, straight men, broke it out pretty, pretty well. But what we found was about a third of those men told us in the survey, which was a pretty intense survey. It was online. But they told us that they had males in their lives that they were emotionally connected to, that they had an intimately connected relationship. That's a third of those men, which was wonderful. A third said, "I don't. I have male friendships, but they don't have a lot of a vulnerability. I can't really show but I'd like to have that." And then a third of the men said, "Why would you want that?" <laughs> 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 and, and it reminds me. I took one of the. I was redoing the the matting for the, a couple of the narratives, and I. Um, I took it up to a Photoshop, a frame shop in Springfield. And I was asking this guy who owns the frame shop, I said, so I need to reframe you know, these, rematch these narratives. And he said, well, what's this project about anyway? And I went into my ever-long ever little still mm-hmm. because I said, you know, it's all male friendships and intimacy. And he looked at me, and it was just so classic. It was a week ago, Saturday. He looked at me and he said, I didn't know men had friends. And, and we had this 45-minute long conversation, which was wonderful. And he said, I think of men as people that I use to get things done. And if I need to get things done, I call somebody and they get things done. But my friend is, women in my life are the ones that listen to me and the ones that want to know about what's going on with me. But I never thought of having men in my life like that. and So I went to the car, and I had the, I had the photos, some of the smaller photos with me in the car. And I don't travel with those all the time. It just happened to be there. And I said, well, let me get these photos and show you these pictures. And he was just like, I didn't know men could do that. I, and if we don't know men can do it, it reminded me of my 50s experience and 60s experience with my sisters. If they didn't know that women could be the announcers on radios, if they didn't know that they could run for president of the United States, how would they ever guess that it was possible? But we needed images, we needed stories, we needed to create the context in which people learn that the possibilities are out there. And as that, the description of the project says, it's making visible what's possible. Because oftentimes what <coughs> is possible in those lives, intimacy, relationships, connectedness, goes on behind closed doors. We don't display those affections in public. We don't tell the stories to other people because they might be confused. And, and I'll quit stopping in one second. But I was doing a radio um, program a few years ago on NPR with um, Point, what's that? Um, point. that? out of Boston. Point. On Point, out of Boston. And it, they were doing a, the guy who runs it was doing a program on men's friendship. So I was the talking head, kind of hour-long expert. And and. I was, we were talking about men's friendships in these topics, intimacy. And this fellow called in from North Carolina, and he said, I'm really listening to this program about men's friendships. I have a friend like this. And he and I moved in the same neighborhood, the suburbs, out of Raleigh or something. And we kind of go for walks. Every Tuesday night, we go for a walk for an hour. <clears throat> about two months ago, we went for a walk, and we found a new trail. We went down, he's telling this on public radio, <laughs> this national program, it was just beautiful. He says we went walking down this trail, we found one of those water towers with one of those um, rims around it where you could climb up the ladder and, and sit on the, on the whatever they call those things, the little extension of it. And it was sunset, and we were walking, and we, and we sat and we climbed up the thing, and it was sunset, it was beautiful, and he'd get really gushy, he said, it was beautiful. And you know, my buddy and I just got into this conversation, we were talking about our childhood, we were talking about our wife, his voice softened, and it was like so beautiful. And he told this story, and he said, and then we got home and we were an hour and a half late. And I walked to the house, and my wife said, Where have you been? And I said, We were up the ladder, we climbed up the tower, we watched the sunset together. She said, Are you gay? And like,
4: I was. <laughs>
0: And
2: that's the change we need to make. So I want to introduce Rob Garfield and Brother Rob Carter. Both of them are men I'm totally totally in love with in my life. They have tremendous meaning. Brother Rob Carter and I are co-directors of the Men's Center for Growth and Change in Philadelphia, uh, where we uh, we operate men's groups and we do a lot of encouraging, revisioning masculinity. And Brother Rob has worked in the city forever around working with boys and men, around changing their lives. And, and Rob Garfield, who has a book called Breaking the Mail Code that's available for sale, is um, a brilliant psychiatrist from, from the Marion area and has been working for years as well. So I wanted to give voice to both of you and ask you, what's your take
5: on men's lives and men's friendships? And then we can have a discussion. Well, thank you for being here, really really appreciate this this is kind of like our second rodeo as the Three Roberts our first rodeo (laughs) was um, men and me too conference which we did on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania in November so but we actually been working together for about five years and I've been working with men and boys exactly about 43 years initially starting off in daycare in fact I realized that boys needed to kind of connect with one another in the daycare center. My first all-male classroom was called the Brotherhood at Nana Bear's Love and Care Daycare Plus. <laughs> and I noticed that when, when little boys are really, really young, they're young, and, and another little boy you just children and someone's hurting or someone's crying, they'll look sad and they'll begin to cry. But, you know, being in the field for so long, what happens at age 12? You know where they're not only not crying; some of them are instituting harm on another, another person. So it's it's interests me to kind of look at boys in their life cycle, and, and and men, boys and men. So I'm saying 40 something years. I'm gonna put it in like 11 minutes. So um, the next experience I want to talk about is when I first met this gentleman right here. We um, we were part of an initiative called Peaceful Posse for Boys. It was an anti, anti-violence prevention. I called it a peace initiative because I think language is important. And a lot of times people talk about anti-violence and what we really want to see is peace within our relationships, mm-hmm. but we focus more on, on the violence part of it. And within Peaceful bi- Posse, um, we basically was educating little boys about domestic violence, you know, <clears throat> talking to them about relationship skills. And, and, and within that experience, one of the things that was really telling was I had a little boy he was 12 years old um, and he was suspended from school one day we used to meet twice a week um, out of um, the the health center across from schuylkill falls housing project and my man got suspended i said yo why did you get suspended he said i was suspended because i was inappropriate with a, with a little girl I said what do you mean he said I was hugging her up and I wouldn't let her go I said well why was that why would you do that he said well she was my girlfriend so I, you know I figured like I still should be able to do that so this is 12 right so we move forward and now we're doing groups doing groups at the men's Center for growth and change in fact one of my partners in goodness back there is Tara we do, we've done groups together and it's really important I felt to have men and women lead some of these groups so that these men could actually see men and women negotiating power within the relationship, within the group forum. And um, within some of these groups, some of these men mightily struggle. And we do anger management, and we do domestic abuse groups. And I want to share, I like sharing little tidbits of stories because as a daycare center teacher, I think stories kind of resonate with people in a powerful way. So we had a group a couple of weeks ago, and a man who was very, um, very harmful uh, within a relationship with his um, wife went to, went to go on a wedding out of town in New Orleans um, with his wife, his children, his brother, and their, her wife. He got in a, a physical conflict. Well, he actually attacked his wife and beat her up badly. He said, "You know what? I really want to stop this behavior. I really want to stop this." I said, okay, all right. So three individual sessions coming in the group. He's in group one night and he's sitting there, we're talking, and he's, and I said, So what do you think? How you doing? He said, I hate being vulnerable. <laughs> I hate it. And I said, Wait. I said, man, all we're doing is talking. We sitting around talking, nobody's threatening you. He just I can't <laughs> stand just feeling this way. Just sharing what's going on and it was so painful um, because he wasn't required to be there, he, he dropped out. So keeping men in this experience, the kind of going up that hump of just feeling that emotional pain. Now this is also a, a guy who's had a lot of trauma. You know, did some prison time. It's horrible when people spend years in a hole and then you expect them to be human later on. You know, and so, and this is one of the guys Who was in our groups. And I thought about this experience today. You know, we have a group called Project Dad. Um, uh, One of our other colleagues, my span, and I, we do a group at a place called People for People, which is a brilliant place. Workforce development support group for um, support program for men where they teach them forklift, they teach them safe serve about food, and they slide us in there on Fridays from 10 to 12, and we do an emotional empowerment training group because we don't want to call it anger management, but we do a lot of stuff around anger management, a lot of stuff around trauma education, and we had about 10 men today, and I told them I was going to be here tonight, and I said, you know, you know, what do you think? is one of the most important things that men should experience you know, who are trying to come back and be not a productive member of society, a healthy person after dealing with some of the stuff they've dealt with over life. And some of the answers were to be viewed as a human being. One of the answers was, I need real justice when I get stopped by the police. And one of the answers was, you know, just don't believe what is said about me. And I asked the same questions of the Peaceful Posse Boys a few years back, and some of the same things happened, and that was in the 90s. So if we don't understand history, and the history of oppression, then we're missing things on a lot of levels. So um, I'm really happy to be a part part of this team. You know, I, I I said we're on a mission of goodness, and
1: um, we got a lot of work to do. So I like turning over to my. Mm. Uh-huh. I love listening to these guys, and it's been like a total pleasure for me. Um, sort of moving out of a more I mean, clinical-based academic setting into working with the two other Roberts in um, the Men's Center for Growth <coughs> and Change. I'm real excited about that. And also really excited to talk about friendships because I've spent a lot of years um, putting together some ideas and the work that we've been doing on men's friendships. And um, I now consider these two guys in my inner circle, which is really good. Um, My dad was a hard person to connect with. Um, He was brilliant and very tough and had uh, survived a lot of trauma in his growing up and he um, sort of undertook a premature blindness when he was in his thirties which could have sent a lot of men onto disability and he decided that it wasn't going to take him down. Okay there's a lot of heroics in this story and I am totally grateful that he managed to kind of do the amazing thing of going back to work and starting a company, being pretty much blind Mm -hmm. Um, and um, provided for us to be able to go to school and um, finish college and stuff and um, I sort of grew up feeling like it was my job actually to kind of take whatever the next steps were to kind of be grateful for what I got from him. He was very tough. He didn't take help from anybody. And if you're a kid, and especially if you're a boy, and maybe if you're an oldest boy, also you want to be able to feel that you're bringing something back to the party in a personal way for that person who's so important to you. And um, my dad dad just wanted the best for us, but he wasn't open. The thing that I noticed when I was a kid was he had a few friends, male friends. They would come over and um, they would go for walks. We lived in Chicago by Lake Michigan. And and he was lighter when he came back after talking with these guys. And I couldn't help but think, what happened? (laughs) What's going on there? How did they, you know, manage to, you know, in these talks that they had, just be able to make him lighter? And um, it was always something that I wondered about. When I was a kid, I had a lot of good friends. I mean, we just fucked off. I mean, we just played like kids did, and um, a lot of them were boyfriends, and I really liked it. When I got later in life, after I finished my training as a psychiatrist and stuff, I found that as I kind of went on, that things got harder with men for me. In other words, when I was going through hard times, I was supposed to already have this stuff figured out, and it didn't get easier. In fact, it got harder. The older I got, the harder it got, and I was supposed to be cool, have this stuff together. And, um, and it seemed like I was walking around in a world with a lot of young men in my 20s who were doing, acting the same way. It was like, this does not feel good to me. Also, I was a therapist and I found that the men that I was working with were kind of saying the same things. They didn't feel comfortable opening up like Brother Rob was talking. And I thought to myself, what is this about? Where did these connections go? Why don't we have them anymore? So that got me starting to think as I was doing my training about what happens to these relationships that men have. And I noticed that the women around us were, you know, kind of able better, not that they didn't have any problems, but to kind of get a group together or be able to talk with, together, whereas we were kind of moving more and more into that bubble. And it was not a good bubble. Over the years, i just began to think, well, I need to really look at this. Um, luckily, I found a best friend, and um, it turned out that I could do some of the things that you know others here have talked about, about being able to go and play and talk in this, but it seemed so special. You know? and, and I've thought about what's the relationship between so many of the problems that men have with their health I saw these guys come in, their relationships, their parenting, and the lack of any kind of real connection they had with other men in their lives. What's going on here? And what was missing? And over time, um, in studying men's work, um, with my good friend, who's not here but he's now on our board, so I'm really happy to hear that that we started doing clinical work together because he's a social worker and we started running men's groups. Eventually we started to call them friendship labs because the very kinds of things, skills that men needed to be able to handle close relationships, parenting with their kids, were exactly the things that they needed to do to be close to each other. So we started calling the labs friendship labs. And over time it became clear that. Men were going in the wrong direction and were actually, as a result of it, the wrong direction mean we weren't developing these kinds of skills that would allow us to be closer to each other. We were ignoring them. We were getting sick, okay? We were losing marriages. We were becoming alienated from our children because the very skills that are the heart of friendship, real friendship, our emotional intimacy skills, and these run absolutely in direct opposition to what I call in the book, male code, our guidelines for becoming real men, okay? So there's a there's a conflict here, and I think a lot of the work that the Roberts and I and what we're doing in the Men's Center for Growth and Change do is really trying to help men resolve that kind of a conflict. How can you be a successful male, okay, and at the same time be emotionally open and connected with other people? This is the thing we need to do. I've never heard a spouse or a woman complain about these groups. Most of the time, the women who are attached to the men in these groups say, go to the meeting, okay? And I don't have to explain to a single woman in this room why that is, right? Do your homework, okay? Don't make it all my homework, okay? Do your homework. Then we could be friends, okay? And This comes up a lot. So a lot of the guys in these groups that are learning friendship skills are finding that their relationships with women are improving, not just with each other, but with women. Their health is improving. Guys will say, so what about that irregular heartbeat? Um, nobody asks about that, okay. What about you know, the kind of an acid that you stop taking? Men pay attention to these kinds of things, all right? And as Robert Heasley was suggesting, we lose that kind of interest pretty early on in the game Younger kids have that, they're open with each other, but high school hardening starts and male code takes over. And the kinds of nurturing that men can get from each other with friendships goes by the wayside. Our job, we see, is to bring this back, okay? This is good for men's health. And it's not different um, at any one point in the life cycle. This is true all throughout the life cycle, through colleges, most difficult time, I think, now is for younger men who are partnering and having children because that's where a lot of their friendships get pushed to the back burner. And when they get pushed to that back burner, they don't resuscitate, they don't. Because friendships, like marriage, like parenting, like work, take work. They take work. So when I decided I wanted to write a book um, and I didn't have to be academic at this point in time. I wanted to do a how-to book. And what this book actually does is it takes a lot of the learnings that we have developed from our friendship labs with working for 25 years with men, and we're starting to introduce that into MCGC, and to put out in simple language with examples, if you're a guy, okay, and you want closer friendships with other men, number one, you do not have to do a world tour to find that person. The odds are there's at least two or three men in your life right now who are there available for you that you are simply not using you know, your energies to deepen that friendship. Okay? Think about that. Okay, It doesn't have to be a world tour. There are guys right now. So the book really takes a look at how do you actually deepen these kinds of friendships? And what are the advantages? We did the research. We know from this research that health improves, that relationships improve, parenting improves. So it's right there for you. <coughs> and you know, without going into the detail, because I don't have time to do that, we really break it down into communications. What skills do you need? Okay, What kind of work do you have to put in commitment? And what about repair, all right? Men are terrible when it comes to an upset, okay? We don't want to fight because that's not cool. We, sh- we deserve better treatment, but that's not cool to say, that hurt my feelings, ouch. You said you were gonna call back. It's been three years, okay? I've had prostate cancer, I'm divorced, and and my children aren't talking to me, but otherwise it's a good relationship. <laughs> okay? This is what guys consider best friendships. All right. So we talk about all those things about the work that a lot of women know goes into maintaining a friendship. And it's a very big deal as we're getting older, as all of us are, and especially If you're out of the work world and you're by yourself in that way, really taking a look at where's my sustenance coming from. She, if it's a she partner, may be in your house and saying, okay, well, that's nice that you're here. What are you going to do with your day, you know? And um, suddenly my source of, you know, um, esteem, I'm not selling this or I'm not teaching that or I'm not writing this, you know. What do I have to sustain me? So at all levels of the life cycle, friendships and men's friendships are important. And we're really seeing that focusing on this issue of emotional intimacy and really helping men begin to bring that into their repertoire, you know, is really central to all the principles we talk about, gender equality, social justice, all these kinds of things. Men need these kinds of skills, and that's what we're helping each other about. I want to
2: add something that was poignant about what you and Brother Robert were saying. Another study that I did, um, and then and, and writing up now, is a study of men who get. I call it men who get it. Men, young men, ages eighteen to thirty, that I interviewed about who were self-identified as feminists, self-identified as committed, they were straight guys, self-committed to not being homophobic and having close, intimate male friendships. And I asked them in the interview, how did you come to be like you? Um, because it's you have to create your own path. And it was fascinating because one of the, there was three common themes. One is, Thank you. yeah, <clears throat> thank you. One was that they had fathers who modeled it. They had fathers who they were, emotionally close to who shared emotions with them and their fathers had male friends who were also very close and very clear. The second one ironically was that they had abusive fathers that they didn't want to become and they wanted something other than that and they knew that they had to create it for themselves and they found other guys who were had qualities that they desired and they were like you show me yours I'll show you mine but somebody has to start the conversation. Right. But I see every, you know, I see a relationship. When I got to know Brother Rob, when I got to know Rob, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move in on these guys. Um, they have qualities that I want to be associated with, and they're they're my kind of guys. But it had to have a conscious effort. And I was one of those guys who grew up with a father who had some pretty abusive characteristics. I didn't want to be him, but I needed to find other models. And these guys that I interviewed said, I need another model. So, nurturing father, abusive father. But the other was, they had girlfriends that told them to get a life. um, That said, you need to change your behavior. Or they had mothers, both mothers and girlfriends, are powerful influences saying, you have to stop doing what you're doing. You're ignoring me as a woman. You're not taking, showing your emotions. And they got it. So we all play a role in influencing how men experience themselves. And it's one of those things where, you know, <laughs> this adage, which really fits with what you were saying, Brother Rob, it's like, when we go to therapy, men go to jail. Um, and, and, you know, there's a reason for that. Because we don't do our work, emotional work, in therapy, we end up saying, no one's going to get to me. I'm going to be sort of a self-made man. I'm not going to rely on anybody else. But that isolation is what, what kills us and hurts others in our lives.
5: Uh, you just got me just this piece because I didn't invoke my father. Both of you said something about my, about your fathers, and I think that's important in terms of my shaping. My father was, was um, the first um, black truck driver for Smith's Beer. Um, then he became a business agent for the Teamsters Union, but he was a jazz musician. Mm-hmm. So his friends were really different. They mm-hmm. played a lot. They played music a lot, and they joked a lot.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Now I used to think that their joking was somewhat a form of being close, but over time, and the older I got, I've noticed how sometimes men can play around, and in their affection, talk about you. Like, I have a, a friend now, what are to see? He said, why, why are you wearing that, man? You always got these loud clothes on. I said, I said, you know what, um, you could just say hi. <laughs> Eric. I said, you could just say hi. I said, I know me and you are cool but you don't have to talk about that. That doesn't have to be your connection point Mm -hmm. that you make a comment about what I have on or how I'm so different than you. He said, well, I said, we're fine. I said, so just say hi. It's taken a while because we teach a course together at Penn, it's taken a while for him to just kind of be a lot more supportive Mm -hmm. because there was some competing on other levels. So sometimes you have to go through these kind of channels with really close friends of yours, and some friends are close in one way, but distant in other ways, right? Like he can be close in information, but not really close. In fact, this same guy, if I said like this to him, he would say, "Yo, Rob, you gotta back up." He'd do that today. He's like, "Rob, you gotta back up. You gotta move over. You're too close." We were at a restaurant two weeks ago. He's like, "Yo, you gotta." I'm like, "Yo, man, wow, what are you?" Doing? But that he's super uncomfortable with that so but, you know I' think I should stop because I could I get on a roll <laughs> good. <laughs> good
2: so any comments thoughts if, feedback?
4: feedback yeah. do you find that relationships between men are different outside of the United States um, yeah I went a couple years ago I went on a trip to Israel and Jordan and I think it was I was in Jordan
2: and school was letting out and all the little kids were letting out and there were a couple of boys holding hands when they yeah. came walking out, and I thought, oh, wow, yeah. you know, that's not something you see yeah. in the United States. No. Yeah. So. There's, where there's less homophobia, there's two sides of a coin here, in my experience. I had the same experience when we were in um, Sweden of just, I, I took a picture from behind of these two boys. They were 12 years old, they were just holding hands after school. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear that they were friends in Sweden, and that was okay. And, and the beauty of that is that if the lower the homophobia, the higher the safety for intimacy. But the other side of that coin is in cultures that are incredibly oppressive to women, like in India, where women don't, women, women and men can not hold hands together. The only hand I can hold is my, my guy friend. Wow. Uh, but it's part of get, gets reinforced in terms of the oppression is a mm. product of it. So it's a mixed bag, but it's hard to interpret. But yeah, it is. And in the United States, we also have a very untouchy. You know, we, you know, <laughs> you know the obvious. We were really influenced by those Protestants. Uh, and and in terms of our founding, was work ethic is everything. Emotional ethic of closeness is secondary to to, to to the Protestant work ethic. And so we tend to be a colder people, I think in many ways, less affectionate. And if we are, we're more affectionate. For men are more likely to see a woman who's a friend and give her a hug, and to see a guy who's a friend and give him a handshake or a, a what's up. Um, yeah. I love that word. It's like, what's up? Like, what do you even say to that? Except, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> it's not a conversation starter. How are you doing? It lo- looks like you're really struggling, or it looks like you're really happy. Tell me about it. We don't have those invitations for the elongated conversation. But I answered the question much more than you asked. So I well, that, was, that
3: was helpful to know
2: also that um, although the, the boys felt very free to hold hands, that the culture
3: is more oppressive towards women. Yes. Yeah. They can't it happens. show their affections in public.
2: Jesse, you were going to say something.
3: Yeah, um, hi, everyone. I'm Jesse, and uh, I actually teach on the global and comparative politics of gender. And one of the things that, just to echo what Robert was just saying, is it's, it's very common in what are called homosocial societies, where your social life is dictated by your gender. So your life and my life wouldn't have intersected in homosocial and the thing is, in those societies, it's easier for men to be affectionate with each other because there's, one, there's no physical affection with women, but also it's such an incredibly homophobic society that your affection for other men is not coded as being queer, as being about desire, mm-hmm. right? So you, like in India, in Palestine, in a, a variety of parts of the world where I've traveled, you'll see men sitting on each other's laps, holding hands, riding a motorcycle together, um, but. So to me, I guess what it comes down to is that society can be oppressive of women and have a variety of ways of men relating to each other. Mm-hmm. right? So to, to be a nerd for a second, right? You, you can have patriarchy with men being close to each other or patriarchy with men never touching each other, but it's still patriarchy. Right? <laughs> so what really tends to define that is this issue of homo-social society. Right? And it's one of the things that, because um, I study the military, that the United States army and marines have run into a lot in iraq and afghanistan is that there are men's spaces and women's spaces and we as a society don't have that so our troops regularly violate those norms which is an extra form of offense beyond just breaking into someone's home, and breaking yeah. their things and all that but it really gets to the heart of the culture of like, the idea that there's, there's women's spaces and men's spaces and within those spaces you can touch each other and we can touch each other um, because it's obviously non-sexual right whereas um, yeah. It's the whole literature on this, it's together.
2: Yeah. Other thoughts, questions? I just, I wanted to
4: say thank you. Just, I have really appreciated listening to this. Um, because a lot of it speaks to me, because, um, well, I've been told by a psychic that I have a lot of male energy. You know, this, here it is. Here it is. I recognize yeah. some of this so much. It's interesting. And I'm used to sitting and talking to women about issues with being close. Mm-hmm. But now I'm hearing men talk about issues with being close. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a lot harder for men in general than for women. Yeah. But um, it's it's just um, I just see myself and just reminded that there's this continuum of us, that we're not like a lump over here and a lump over there. That there's patterns
2: that you can identify.
4: How do you see? What do you see, Barbara? What in In yourself do I see? Well, it's a lot easier for me to have spent 10 years of my free time volunteering on a tall ship crew um, than to actually call up my friend Rachel and say, do you want to go for a walk? (laughs)
2: Mm-hmm. So the yeah, being absorbed in other energies rather yeah. than initiate
1: your own process, initiate your own relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I appreciate that because um. You know there there's there's been so much of a trend in talking about gender, um, that wants to make it very simple. Women are like this, and men are like this, mm-hmm. and women are hormonized you know, to tend and, de- and befriend and these kinds of things. And men are hormonized to be, you know, um, but the, the biological research on that is, is much more fluid and there's much more overlap about that. And one of the things that I found when I was writing the book was that that kind of thinking in itself actually tends to um, diminish The amount of work that women actually put into maintaining their friendships. It isn't just, you know, I have more oxytocin, so of course I call on my neighbor and, you know, we get together, we do this kind of thing. It takes work to do that. And um, and I I want to, you know, we really want to underscore that for men too, who may just, you know, kind of say, well, that's kind of who we are. You know, we—that's we how men are. We, we sort of we sort of do that, you know, kind of thing. Well, you do mm-hmm. do that, mm-hmm. but if you really want to have closer relationships and develop a culture of caring with other guys, you got to pick up the phone and call. And I I really like what you're saying because it's like, yeah, for you there could be things that are a lot easier to do than pick up your, you the phone and call a friend. Yeah.
5: Can you can know, you can know what to do sometimes, and still not do it. Absolutely, you can be steeped in the work. My wife would tell me in a minute. She said, "When last time you call Howard? Why you don't call Howard? Ain't, ain't your friend? Why don't you call him up?" I'm like, "Ugh, I got so much stuff to do." So it's like, you know, the I appreciate the reminder, because it is work, yeah. and it's a lot easier just kind of say, "Well." I I'm not into that. That's not right. what I'm into. You know, He's it, my boy. He know it. He know I care about him. Yo, man. It's right.
1: cool. But it's working when you do it. Mm-hmm. You always yeah. feel better about oh, it. Yeah, when yeah. You know, right. I mean, that's, <coughs> that's the thing. It builds,
2: it builds on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any final thoughts? You have to go in a minute.
0: Yeah. Ahead? So, uh, I'd like to talk about race. Uh, so, how does race fit into this
5: issue of friendship? Friendships. Yo man, you, you get we call this the doorknob effect we, <coughs> that's the huge <laughs> huge <laughs> huge piece because my answer would be cloud, it, it clouds everything mm-hmm. you don't understand, the professor says if you don't understand white supremacy, racism, then everything else will just confuse you mm-hmm.
2: because yes
5: yeah. yes, it has a lot to do with and we should have a, a longer conversation mm-hmm. and, to talk about it because to me, it's clouds
0: every day. I just my, my own statement is, it's been very difficult. It's something that I really sought. And to uh, friend so a friend across race, a friend to, a to, race. To, to 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 get close mm-hmm. to men of color mm-hmm. that I'm attracted to. You know, mm-hmm. I just find them you know interesting, appealing, and, and we share energy and 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 it's. Uh,
5: so it's harder. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, period. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think we're, we're a work in progress, mm-hmm. you know, and we continually work on it. And um, and for me, it means being honest. It really means being honest. And for me, being honest means talk about my history of working with white, white men, right. and it hasn't always been great. So at least to know my history, mm-hmm. so it's like okay, it's not like you don't know. So let's let's continue to stay and close. Up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we
2: know some of those men.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Some of them in the field. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's about trust. It's about, it's
2: about trust between men anyway is challenging to trust that I can be vulnerable. And then when you have issues of race and you have issues of sexual orientation, you have issues of class, it, it just adds to the levels, it seems to me, of the, of the landmine and the fragility of how we can work that out. I do know that we have to be out here at 7 o'clock, and yeah. I do know that it's 7 o'clock. So okay. about that for time. Thank um, you all. Um, yes. But Thank I you, really kid. appreciate Thank you
4: it. It's
5: like a Triple Ted talk. Where's <laughs> 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 Mr. Banner's <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> at?
0: Well, there you have it a panel on men's friendships and men's intimacy featuring the three roberts robert heasley brother rob carter and robert garfield and i want to thank all three of them for allowing me to come and record that session and to share it with you i wish that we maybe had had a little bit more time you know i think If you're like me listening to that, you probably were thinking, oh, I just want to hear so much more about Robert's story, or I just want to hear so much more about that anecdote. Uh, The time was limited for that session. The venue actually was very strict on time. But one of the things I'd like to do in the next, say, six months or so is I really would like to interview one or more of the Roberts individually. So that's always been on my radar, and it's certainly something that I'm interested in doing. So anyway, thank you for listening today, and before we go, I just want to, as always, thank everyone who contributes to our Patreon page, and particularly Gadi Ben Yehuda, who contributes at the producer level. Uh, I'd also like to just say, if any of you are interested in this project in any way, please go to talklikeaman.net. And there you will find all the information on the podcast, on the the Facebook page, the Twitter, all the various social media platforms that we're on. And uh, if you'd like to contribute to the podcast, that will also link you to the Patreon page so you can do that. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Talk Like a Man is affiliated with the Men's Center for Growth and Change. A Philadelphia-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to help men and boys realize their full potential to love and positively connect with others. For more information, please visit mencenterphilly.org. To find out more about the Talk Like a Man project, visit talklikeaman.net.